it's the Memo Show. On the Memo Show's maiden voyage, Chimes and I talk about creativity in the digital world versus what it was like to have to create in the 90s with the restrictions of analog. Also, we have a few audio treats from those deemed imperfect for this world, but perfect for this podcast. Writers, artists, musicians, and lost souls, welcome to the Memo Show. Yeah, I mean, when, how did we come up with this idea? Why, why did I want to start this? Because I keep thinking about, like, a goal, because... You know, I hear these people talk about, you know, being successful with podcasts or music or art or acting, um, you know, and they're like, oh, well, you have to have a goal. But for me, I don't really I don't really have a goal for this. I just I feel like it's I just want to make a platform have, you know, I think it started with me thinking about like my friends and growing up and all the fun, funny shit that we used to do. And yeah. like I want to showcase my friends you yeah. know and like the people that we work with yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah at the fruit stand like they're they're all fucking hilarious yeah and they're all unique extremely talented and extremely talented yeah so like i'd like to have them on to talk about what they do um and hopefully you know someone will get something out of it or hear something they like but mostly you know i wanted it to be kind of like a variety show because the podcasts that are popular are very not niche but they're very you know laser focused mm -hmm. on one particular topic mm -hmm. um and i don't there's not much variety out there mm -hmm. so i wanted to have like different um you know different aspects you know comedy or music or, mm -hmm. or art or mm -hmm. fashion or acting you know talking about um you know being an, an actor in la right um you know, movies, TV shows, um, you know, just have like a variety of things, video games to talk about. And, um, because I'm, I'm interested in a lot of different things and, you know, people usually are interested in more things than they show on the surface. Definitely. So, um, and I think the podcast gives people an opportunity to be a little bit more open, you know what I mean? Um, a little bit more vulnerable. And I like what you said earlier, because it's like, you know, I don't really think art has to have a destination. You know, I um, when I first started out in acting, it was like, oh, the end, end goal was, you know, to be a working actor, to, you know, to make a lot of money and maybe achieve some sort of fame. But I think as you fall in love more with what it is you're doing as an artist, you start to realize that, like, sometimes the process is just as rewarding as the, the end, end goal, if there is one, you know? Yeah, that's that's how it was with me with music is like, I never wanted to be a rock star mm -hmm. or like popular or mm -hmm. like never wanted the fame or anything like that. When I set out to make music, my goal was just to make music, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. I like the process. Mm -hmm. I like plugging shit in. I like fixing the levels. I like setting EQs and compressors and, um, you know, that, you know, that beginning is like a story for another time, but my, passion was always just making it work mm. you know making a beat and then adding a bass line and fucking grooving and then you know oh shit let's write some vocals and then um oh you know you play guitar come over here put lay something down you yeah. know like it was always a, a communal kind of thing with me because um i would make music on my own but i would always try to incorporate as many people that i was around yeah. 
in it as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, just, I have tapes and CDs and all types of shit, like files and files and files of music that I've made. And usually in each one of those songs, there's someone else that I've asked to come in and help out with. Nice. Um, You know, even if it's just like a background vocal or um, a guitar solo or something, I love collaborating with people. So I think this is, this is partially, you know, coming from that too. Mm -hmm. But that creative space, man. I think it's awesome. Yeah, I th- I think too. I, I anytime someone starts something, the the beginning process is always fascinating to me because it's um you don't know what's gonna what it's gonna eventually eventually morph into, and every popular podcast sometimes I'll go back and I'll look at the the very first ones, and you realize it's like it's very unpolished and it's 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 rough and it's rugged and, you, and they're trying to figure out what it is what their voice is or what you know how is this going to look what is going to be my platform so to say and um you look back on it and you realize like oh they really didn't have any idea either you know um it's through time and through people liking it that you kind of like oh this is what the people like okay well i'm going to keep catering to that yeah um but yeah i mean and and for the goal thing like it's funny because you know our whole lives we're taught to set goals and achieve goals. And, um, if you want to get something done, you need to have a goal, but like, I don't give a fuck. Right. <laughs> I don't care. I just want to do it. Right. You know, like I like this, I just like doing this. Um, like I was me and, um, Leo, my son were playing Fortnite um, last night and I'm very, I'm a completionist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I like to do the quests. I like to get all the goals. I like <laughs> to do all the, the things like get, get, get all the things that you can get while playing the game. And when he plays, he just plays. Yeah. He doesn't care. I go, Leo, what, what's your, what's your goal? What quest are you going to do? He's like, I'm just enjoying it. Just playing it. (laughs) Yeah. And it used to frustrate me, you know, it used to drive me crazy. Like, bro, get some, get some quests done so we can get some more XP so we can level up and we can do this. And he's just like, I'm just, just enjoying it. Just trying to find the the purple gun. So I can just, you know, and what? and it kind of, it, you know it 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 helps me learn to just like let go a little bit mm-hmm. you know and not and remember that childlike sense of who cares we're just exploring we're mm-hmm. just playing we're just there is no goal it doesn't mm-hmm. matter you know so yeah and I don't I don't think we're saying that there shouldn't be any goals in life right I, I think especially you know uh, for us males. Um, I think it is important to have a goal, you know what I mean? But I think artistically, if you start to, especially like living in Los Angeles, man, we live in a place where it's like you see extreme amounts of wealth everywhere we go. And sometimes that can be like glorified. And I know for myself, especially being an actor, you can kind of look at that and think like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not where I should be. You know, now granted there can be um, some setbacks, you know, or hiccups, but I think if you start to really, what are they the saying that um, comparison is the, the thief of joy? You know, um, I found that definitely to be true with me. That as soon as I start comparing myself to others, then I'm I'm not conscious of my own path. Yeah, especially when it comes to creatively. Mm-hmm. Like the minute you start comparing yourself to other people, mm-hmm. the more of a hole you're going to get into. Yeah, and the more the harder it is it's going to be to come up with something yeah. creatively um this fucking book i'm reading 
Bro, when I'm done with this book, you gotta read it. It's Rick Rubin's new book. Yeah, um, Eddie kept talking about this. It's so funny too because Eddie, Eddie, just loves reading. Yeah. Right? And when he told me he was reading like Rick Rubin's book, I was like, oh shit, Rick Rubin, you know, like fucking um, Def Jam founder, like um, like producer of multiple fucking gold platinum records like he he started the the whole rap rock phenomenon with with Aerosmith right. and Run, Run DMC, DMC yeah. and like just like he Red Hot Chili Peppers some of their best yeah. records came from Rick Rubin like I can't even begin to like tell you like to even list the amount of shit that he had his hands in he doesn't play any instruments right he just right his job and the reason people hire him is because he can get that pull, out of you yeah he pulls the best out of them bro that book is so crazy like he talks about creativeness being like a wave and you just got to keep catching the waves until until something until something comes of it you know like you have to be on that right wave at the right time mm -hmm. um and you just have to like go with it he's like the more you think about it the harder it's gonna be he just talks about uh, and, it, and this book isn't even about him making any of those records or stories about being in the studio it's literally all about being creative wow. and and how to get the creativeness out of you well, so it's, i barely opened it up and it's like the first statement i guess if he was by a man named robert henry and it says uh the object isn't to make art it's to be in that wonderful state which makes art inevitable like man that's powerful yeah and it's similar to that uh that little video i sent you on instagram where mm -hmm. he you know that's what i mean it like that me it, it has to be inevitable you know it's it and i feel like we're living in a society now where we're starting to wake up to that like like art is necessary you know what i mean uh creative getting your outlet is necessary and it's a beautiful thing man um i was thinking about this act this writer strike and the acting strike and i was like you know i really feel like you know as if you can look at it and think like oh man this sucks you know what I mean? But I really feel like this is going to be a good thing, even for the industry, because I, I have a lot of friends, even like yourself, who are recording artists. And a, and a lot of these guys, you know, didn't want to sign a record deal because of shady deals and whatnot. And so it was like, yeah, when, I fuck you over right. no matter what. Yeah. But it was like when the streaming platforms came came out, it was like they had the ability to still get their music out and um, but not have someone telling them or controlling how they were going to create it or, you know what I mean, when it needed to be out or, or et cetera. Now, there's something to be said for having a machine behind you, but and there was more work that had to be done with them. But I feel like with this actors and this writer strike, it could be an opportunity for actors to start waking up the way music uh, musicians did and realize like, oh, we don't have to really cater to Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like these... The, we are the artists you know what i mean we are the writers we're the ones that are giving them the content that they're creating so i think and i mean think about it now you can shoot a movie on your iphone man yeah i mean <laughs> that's crazy it's super nuts and uh, anybody can make music it, right you just need a laptop an ipad you know, and iphone you can do it on your was iPhone. It, uh, lupe fiasco's last album was made and he literally said he made it on a 20 dollar mic that he bought from best buy the whole album and 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 using logic in yeah. his living room <laughs> and it sounds amazing yeah and that's that's just like my life that's what i've just done my i had my you know my little studio in my closet i had this this i rebought this machine right here this is my four track mm -hmm. um this is the one i used to use back in the 90s 
Um, you put a tape in it. You got four tracks, just like the fucking Beatles. Like that's all they had with four tracks. You had to do what you could with these four wow. tracks. Um, you know, and then you would get creative with it because of the, of the limitations. So you, I would use um, four tracks to do like I used to record bands, like my friends' bands and stuff, um, for like beer and cigarettes. You know, like, <laughs> so hook me up with a twelve pack yeah. and some, you know, a couple packs of smokes. Right. I'll come to your band practice and record hook you guys. Get you a demo, right? So, um, like for drums, right? How the fuck are you supposed to record drums on four tracks mm. worth of, um, like, uh, four tracks? So I would run, I would mic all the drums, right? I'd have like three or four mics. I'd do like an overhead. I'd do the, the, uh, the hi-hat and the snare and then the kick drum, right? And the toms would just get picked up, right? Um, run it all through this like $200 mixing board that I fucking worked all summer to buy. And then you run the mixing board stereo out into there. You record on two tracks, you pan the left, the right, and then you do, um, I'm trying to visualize it here. So you'd have the, the drums on these two tracks, you pan it out left and right. So it would sound like, you know, the drums were spaced out. Right. And then you do like bass on the second track. And then you would do, I don't know, maybe the, the lead guitar. Right. But then you'd have to mix it down. So what you would do is you'd plug this guy into a regular tape machine. You'd mix it. It would go out to the regular tape. You'd start a new tape on here. You'd <laughs> throw that mix back in here wow. on two tracks. And then you would do, um, you know, rhythm guitar, vocals, and then you would do it again. Now there was deg there was degradation. How do you say De degradation? Degradation to the tape because you would be mixing it down and then putting it back on tape. So you only had so many tries, I guess, before like it would just start sounding like shit. That's crazy. You know? So, and that's how the Beatles did it too back in the day. Cause they would have four tracks, reel to reel tape and they would, you know, do the drums. They would, but you know, they had to get creative with it and they would just add on top of, on top of um, each other with like sitars and you know, the Beatles, yeah. right? Yeah. But like, um, the limitations of the technology back then forced you to be creative. But like now, like, I, like we were talking about, you can do everything on your iPhone mm -hmm. now. So there is no limitation mm -hmm. anymore. Everything is digital. You can have 99 mm -hmm. fucking tracks on your iPhone. Right. You can do with the new Apple M twos, any of the even baseline laptops, you can have infinite amount of tracks, right? right? There are no limitations. So the creativity has to come from another place. Um, and I think, a lot of the times when I'm watching like reels on Instagram and stuff like that, I like to see the creativeness. It could be the bit most basic video, but I like to see the creativeness, like something I noticed today, um, with just like basic recipe videos, you know, they show you how to make something real quick. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of people, there's this trend where they're starting with the finished product ah. and then like they're showing them eat it and they're like, you know, they do the, mm, oh my God, amazing thing. Right. And then it goes into like making it, you know, uh, so like the that's kind of cool. Yeah. So I like seeing how people, even though they don't have limitations are still being creative with things, but I mean, it's, well, and, 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 pers so and perspective, bro, like just hearing, I, I don't know anything that you said, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm like, just hearing that process. I'm like, I wonder if today's musicians realize how difficult it was to make they don't you know what i mean that's the thing and like I, and i i hate talking about it because i sound like an old man <laughs> it but it's all like, good but i think 
it's the case with everything. You got to know where you come from yeah. to, to know where you're at, yeah. you know? And that's why I rebought this. I found it on like, uh, you know, one of those used like instrument websites or whatever. It was like 200 bucks. That's probably how much it fucking cost mm. back then too, mm-hmm. you know, but it, I needed it because I have all these four track tapes that I need to digitize now. Mm. So using it and playing with it, I was like, God damn, how did I fucking do this? Right. You know? And it's, it's crazy because now I I remember when (sighs) digital started to become a thing. I'm gen X, right? So Mm -hmm. I, I was in the analog world for Mm -hmm. half my life. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm in the digital world for Mm -hmm. my life. So I remember it clearly I knew how to use it Mm -hmm. um, and now I know how to use everything digitally I'm not like like the boomers where they grew up all analog and when the digital age came about they're like oh fuck this I don't know how to use an iPhone it scared them but for me I jumped right in because um, I needed it right you know when when this stopped serving its purpose this four the the tape four track right when it started to really give me limitations that's when everything started to become digital Mm. they sold a version of this that was digital so instead of using tapes you Mm -hmm. just record on one of those big camera sd cards Mm -hmm. fucking blew my mind (laughs) like holy shit i don't have to buy fucking tapes anymore (laughs) right like whoa right (laughs) and the fact that when you're in the store and the guy's explaining to you, yeah, you can mix these, your drums down to two tracks and not lose any quality. Wow. You're like, the fuck? Wow. You're like, what? Yeah. Because that, that didn't exist yeah. prior to that. And, and knowing how frustrating that could be, having a perfect drum mix and then having to mix it down, you go into it knowing like, fuck. I'm going to lose like something. some of this, some yeah. of the highs and the high are going to like, suck. you know, like, but now it's digital. It doesn't matter. Yeah. There's no degradation (laughs) that one (laughs) yeah uh and that was just that opened up a whole bunch of possibilities for me Me and my friends were like bro like you do you understand what we could do with this we have four guitar tracks if we want we can add more instruments we can do this we can do that you can have vocals and then add you can add three more vocals underneath that for harmonies if you want like it opened up our whole world so being ignorant and not knowing much about it do you think that today's artists are taking full advantage of of the you know the opportunities that technolo- technology is providing for them? Like, or are they still? Is it is it like, hey, you know, uh, you're still making great music, but you're you're scratching the bottom of the barrel as far as what your cape what what technology technology can allow you to do? No, because a part of it too is back when we were using this stuff and we had those limitations the yes it forced us to be more creative but it also slowed down the creative process Mm. so like we're in the middle of recording a band like we got to stop for 20 30 minutes so i can get this shit done Mm -hmm. so i can mix all the drums down and put it on another tape and Mm -hmm. um they're they're out of the zone Mm -hmm. the band's out of the zone Mm -hmm. you know so it it slowed down the creative process when you give someone 99 tracks on an imac and no limitations they could just go yeah you know so i i don't think that they're missing anything from it but i do start to see the younger generation discovering like how we used to do stuff Mm -hmm. and using that as a part of their creative process Mm -hmm. now because i see a lot of people on instagram who create music digitally but then they mix it down to a tape Mm. you know and they 
go outside and they get all their blank tapes and they you know do do cool art on them spray paint them uh, make cool. them all unique yeah make their own like inserts just like we used to do back in the day yeah but it was recorded a different way right you know i see people um using tape machines a lot now um to get that warm analog feel like they'll use a tape machine just to record the drums right you know and then they'll put it in the computer and and do what they need to do which is a great mixture of stuff because i still i still do that you know like i'll just mic up um a a guitar or you know get um go uh, here look i'll show you like this bin here this is just like shit i picked up at like um like thrift stores like i'll just find tapes mm. laying around right and i'll fucking sample them mm. and put them into the songs i'm mm. making on the computer or if there's a cool drum <laughs> part in there i haven't seen one of these it's so long i'll just bro. fucking um you know just sample them cuz yeah. got they got great sound bites they're not copywritten they can't be i mean this right. shit was like sold maybe for like 6 months over the tv and then you know that there's went away yeah went away so there's like there's so much cool shit out there on these other formats that I think kids are are starting to discover now, um, and that's what I like, man. Is it's like a, a blending of you, it, it, creatively you start to realize that um, it just because things are improving as far as technologically and maybe it sounds better and it streams streamlines the process, there's still something to you know the old ways of of uh, making music or making a movie. I, I was very concerned when. You know, uh, the cameras on these devices started getting really good, and now everybody's calling themselves a filmmaker, right? Because there's still something to be said for studying, for really knowing what you're doing. Now, I was I was glad because it allowed for someone like me, like I was saying, who doesn't have any studio backing or anything like that, to still make a a short film or or a feature film or something like that. But I felt like what began to happen was we began to focus so much on how the film looked that we forgot that what we're really supposed to be doing is telling a story yeah right now it the the byproduct of that excellent storytelling was oh yeah it was visually appealing or whatever the case may be but at the end of the day it was supposed to be like we told it was a story right and um a lot of the stuff that i started to see was like oh man this is very visually appealing but i don't i i don't care about the characters i'm not emotionally drawn to anything about this yeah people are just making shit to make shit um yeah and that's the thing too like you can give anybody a computer with infinite amount of tracks, but it's what you do with them that counts. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. what you're making, what, what's your message, what's your, um, you know, what's your fucking goal, right. I guess, you know, right. like we were talking about before, but um, it's any, I don't know. I don't remember who said this, but when everything was transitioning, that question came up a lot with, you know, artists who recorded a lot on tape and, and when, computers started to make music creation available to everybody. The question came up a lot in like, um, you know, guitar magazines and, and, you know, magazines like that. I used to read them a lot. Um, you know, how do you feel about the fact that now anybody could make music, Mm -hmm. you know, in their bedroom or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of the times the, the artists who would respond to that would say like, you know, anybody can make music, but, you know, it, it takes, you know, someone special to be, you know, a musician, right. an artist, right. you know, someone, you got to have something to say, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's still true nowadays. Yeah. Same thing with film too. Yeah. Like absolutely. If you don't have a story, 
your shit could look beautiful right. and eye catching and whatever, but you know, eight K, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter if if I'm not drawn to it, and because I think we forget that like uh, we're emotional beings, we're emotional creatures, and I love that. Um, and that's not to say that every film has to be a tearjerker or a movie. You know what I mean? Sometimes I just want to go to a, um, watch a movie and turn my brain off and just watch something. But I think I think we're kind of getting back to realizing like, oh, we need to be telling stories with the amount of remakes that are being thrown out there. And, and then you start to look at what's happening in our world. And it's like, oh, yeah, like people are starting to realize like we got to get back to telling stories again that, that move people, that provoke thought. Raw emotion. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's something that I've always tried to achieve with, you know, my music is it's got to be raw, man. Mm-hmm. It's got, like who fuck who who cares if mm-hmm. the take isn't perfect? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. keep it, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, you fucked up the word. Keep it yeah. is real. Yeah. You know, like that's what I always loved about that <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yes, there's a level of perfection you want to achieve. So you don't take someone out of it. Right. You know, but it's still laying it down as as raw as possible was always my main you know focus for creating music especially when i recorded bands like they would you know yell cut or whatever and i'd be like what was wrong with that they're like i fucked up i'm like i couldn't tell right doesn't matter right that shit sounded dope like what like uh like next time i'm not stopping (laughs) right don't don't tell me to cut uh (laughs) but but they're like, no, I, I hit the wrong note. And I'm like, yeah, but it sounded badass. Like yeah. it doesn't, doesn't matter. Like I always loved the way that you can capture the feeling of a band being in a room. I think, I think the biggest thing that ever blew my mind was when uh, Pearl Jam came, came out with Vitology. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so far from what, other bands were putting out everything was so polished and overproduced and and that that record literally sounded like someone put a mic in the middle of the room while they were just playing Mm. you know and Mm -hmm. it was it wasn't a live album per se and they probably recorded it all on different tracks Mm -hmm. but it sounded like they fucking played it together in a in a small basement somewhere you know and it was so powerful and raw and you can hear like the drummer dropped the sticks in the background and like, it was just, it was perfect, you know? Mm. <laughs> and I remember listening to it and being like, Holy shit, this is so raw. Like, and this was right after their, I think it was their third album. So they put out like two studio albums before that still had that same kind of feeling and stuff. But that one was just so particularly, particularly raw that I was like, Whoa, this is crazy that they could just do this, you know? Yeah. And they captured it. And I've always kept that, feeling in mind of hearing them be so like we don't care this is these are our songs here mm-hmm. here they are we're gonna play them for you mm-hmm. you know i always love that that feeling you get from records and there's a lot of records like that but that one you know that one stands out to me but that um, rawness is usually where the passion is too you know yeah. what i mean when it's raw it's like that's that's usually where the passion and the most heartfelt performances come from <laughs> Hey man, you know, a long ass time ago, I went to a dentist and they tried to like convince me to get a tooth pulled. I guess for like insurance shit or something, who the fuck knows. But uh, they uh, told me that I had like a rotting tooth, which I know I don't now because I've been to the dentist like a bunch of times and I asked them and they're like, no, you're fine. I'm a new dentist, you know, not the same guy. 
but uh, ever since then, I've been, like, real self-conscious about it. And so, I, like, sometimes in the morning, I'll, like, think about it after I brush my teeth, and I'll worry that I got this rotting tooth, and everyone can, like, smell this rotting tooth but me, and, like, I'm the only one that doesn't know. So I spent a little bit of time today trying to smell my own tooth. You ever do that? You ever try to manipulate your nose on your face to smell the inside of your mouth? Call me back. All right, so like I said before, I want this to be kind of like a variety show. I'm doing air quotes, right? Um, So I got my buddy. His name's Rob. I've known him, I don't know, since maybe we were 14. Uh, You do the math. I'm not going to say my age right now. (laughs) But, um, yeah, probably since we were 14, he always wanted to be a writer. He is a writer Mm -hmm. to me. He's Mm He writes short stories. He writes Pr- uh, prose he writes poems um he he used to have like a blog back when blogging was like really cool mm-hmm. um like in the early days of the internet he had like a blog spot i think it was called uh like like the typewriter monkey okay. i think because like you know you give a monkey a typewriter <laughs> yeah. that that whole saying or whatever um and the shit that he wrote used to be so funny and so out there and like stuff that like you kind of think about it's they're like fleeting thoughts but he just extrapolates on it and just talks about it to a degree where you're like really bro like (laughs) where the fuck are you going with this the thought wasn't enough the thought wasn't enough (laughs) uh but you know he back when we were 14 we would listen to pearl jam right in his room um it would be messy clothes fucking everywhere like typical teenage uh, like pre pre-teenage but look my voice is cracked just like I'm a preteen um like clothes everywhere uh but he was he's a big dude yeah. he was always big he was always tall he would tower above everybody he he hit puberty before everybody else so he had like a beard and a mustache <laughs> um back when we were 14 we we would be able to buy cigarettes and booze because you know he he looked he older i think he even had gray hair like wow. back then but um <clears throat> he he had this milk crate I remember it specifically. He had an unmade bed on the floor, mattress on the floor, um, and then a milk crate in the middle of the room with a typewriter on it. That's it. And like a a stereo. Wow. You know, and like, uh, of course, like band posters and stuff. But that was it. And he wanted to be a a writer like um, like like Hemingway and um, fucking uh, who's that other guy that um, fucking I don't know. He he loved the writers that were always out there. but he sent me a short story that he narrated, nice. um, and I'm gonna play it. I want to get our reactions cool. while we listen to it because he's he's insane. With nice. stuff, so. All right, let's see. And now, news, notes, slander, and otherwise with Rob L. That's gonna be take number four. Uh, starting to become subtly filled with rage at my own inability to fucking read. Um. Might be multiple takes, might be a single take. Who the fuck knows? Um, apparently, I have like zero patience. Uh, fourth time making the joke, however, uh, a plus for figuring out a really effective way to remind me that I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> so, let's make with the razzle dazzle. Take number four. Uh, potentially, uh, might get split into parts too. Just so you know. I'm gonna title this "My Blue Pen in an Existential Crisis Upon Returning to the Office." I'm sitting at my desk. Right. Ugh, fuck. All right, I'm going to start over. I just, like I said, cannot read. All right. So 
<laughs> I don't know if he wanted me to cut that like beginning part hey, out. You, you can't remember Pearl Jam, bro. But it's the happy like, accident. It's so raw. Right, right? You gotta okay. keep it raw. Right. Let me um, <laughs> let me try to cue this up again. Let's see. My blue pen and an existential crisis upon returning to the office. I'm sitting at my desk right now. I'm just staring at this pen. It's a pretty ordinary pen. The ink is blue and I haven't lost the cap yet. And it says Bic on it in big black letters. So I'm just staring at this pen, right? And I'm thinking. I'm just sitting and thinking and staring at this pen. I thought for a second that someone was going to come into my office. So I stared out the door vacantly for a second or two. And then the voice moved off down the hall. And I went back to just staring at this pen. Just sitting and staring and thinking and staring at this pen. Not thinking of anything specific. I think the thought... Man, a slice of pizza would hit the spot right now. But I don't want to order a whole pizza. I don't know any place that would deliver just a single slice of pizza. Maybe if I did know a place that delivered a single slice of pizza, I could pay for it with my debit card, then use this pen to sign the receipt for the delivery driver. Would he appreciate this pen as much as I? Do you tip less for a single slice of pizza than you would for a whole large pie? Or is the tip really more about the journey the delivery driver took to get there? I bet he's seen some crazy things in his travels. What if I signed the receipt and the ink in the pen was red instead of blue, as I believed it to be? Would the delivery driver think that I was being antagonistic with my use of red instead of blue in this pen? This is an incredibly silly thought, though, because the ink in this pen is blue, not red. And I don't even think I have a red pen anyway. Blue and black, that is the only color of, op of ink I have in this office. But I'm fairly certain that I have a yellow crayon that rolled under my desk recently. Is the yellow crayon that rolled under my desk like Schrodinger's cat? Does it really only exist if only I know it's there? And even I'm not completely certain that it is. There was some kid in the office of the day crawling around on the floor and picking things up and putting them in their mouth. Is it possible that they ate Schrodinger's crayon? I should pick up the pen now and count things and use the pen to write down the totals of how many individual items I have of each item. But this would require me doing something besides sitting and staring at the pen. Staring at my lovely blue pen. I begin to wonder if anyone has ever owned just one pen. Is it possible to have just one pen? Not one pen at a single time, but one pen for the life of that pen. You open up a new box of blue pen that says Bic on the side in big black letters, and you put it in your pocket, and that is your pen till either it runs out of ink or you die. There can be a funeral either way. I'd be incredibly, incredibly skeptical of anyone who claims to have done so. Staring at my pen, I read the word Bic again. And remember that Bic makes lighters as well. I wonder about my pen and a lighter and the ability to burn evidence that's been written down. If Bic also made paper along with Bic lighters and Bic pens, they could theoretically have a monopoly on the life cycle of the creation and destruction of written evidence. But the more I think about it while I stare at my pen, the more I become sure that Bic are only players in the plastics game and they leave the paper game to someone else entirely. The whiteout people seem to make sense for this. I just exhaled deeply and let out a noise that sounded like a sigh. And when the wind from my breath hit the pen, it rolled across the table a little bit. This is an incredibly exciting development. Breaking news. Has the pen become sentient? And was this its polite way of informing me that I need a breath mint? Pen, if you're out there, have you written me a letter yet? I prefer S. My least favorite letter is V, followed quickly by W. I dislike them because I can never remember which comes first when trying to do anything using the categorizing method of alphabetization.
Then I have to sing the whole alphabet song to myself to remember. This becomes incredibly awkward when I don't realize I've begun to sing aloud and start asking strangers to next time sing along with me. Few to ever take me up on the offer. I feel it's because they're jealous of my pen. But I'd be jealous of this pen because it is a good pen. If I use this pen to write a letter directly to the pen, it would be inanimate object narcissism. As much as I like this pen, I'm beginning to wonder what it would be like to poke myself in the eye with it. I feel like it would do irreparable damage to my relationship with the pen, and I would never stare at it the same way again. But now that thought is there, I can't seem to shake it. What if I just picked it up and poked myself in the eye? Not hard. Hard enough to feel it. Enough to get the time to pass quicker, just a jab to my eye. Quick, painless. I make that sign noise again, the pen rolls away a little bit further. Is the pen on to me? Does it know that I have devious plans involving both it and my eye? I try to inhale forcefully to see if it's possible to get the pen to roll backwards towards me. It does not budge. My right hand has begun to creep and crawl across my desk towards the pen. I feel that sneaking up is the best course of action for this grabbing of the pen and sticking the eye business. It's like ripping off a band-aid. It's just a quick, dirty, it's a jab to the eye. My hand is closer now, maybe an inch away. I seize the big pen in my grasp, triumphantly towards my eye. Fuck, I broke my glasses. Thank you, Rob. That was a crazy story. <laughs> we want more. Uh, hey, everybody, don't go anywhere. I'm going to leave you with a little segment from my man, Cal, whose music taste is pretty wild and wanted to let you in on his process when he works with artists in the studio. He also suggests a cool song from an artist for y'all to listen to. Stick around. But before that, I just wanted to say thanks for listening to the first episode of The Memo Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And a special thanks to all those who contributed. Here's Cal with the Music Minute. I just made that up. Hi, my name's Cal. I'm a songwriter producer. And recently one of my friends asked me if there were any artists or reference tracks that keep on coming up in studio sessions. So just a little bit of background, several times a week, I'm in the studio with an artist and they'll bring in a reference track. And a reference track is a song that's already out in the world, but it's a song that inspires them or they like a certain part of it. And I think reference tracks are really important because it kind of gets everybody on the same page or looking at the same goal. And when creative people are working together with one goal in mind, the best results can come out of that. So what I'm going to talk about over the next couple of minutes are some of the songs that keep on getting brought up in studio sessions and what I'm hearing and what's inspiring to me in each one of these tracks. One of the songs that gets brought up regularly, like almost once a week, is an artist named Breakins. And the song is CBD. It's off the album Hypochondriac. And... It is, it's hard to describe this because it's, it's hyper pop, but when I start describing it, it's going to sound like I'm describing emo. It's like emo lyrics. It's got like guitar tapping. It's got like Midwest, like open tunings. So like there's all these tapping and hammer-ons. It's like anti-pop. It's got all these like weird saturation and distortion and mess up stuff. So it sounds like they're pushing the boundaries of what music has been. It's just they're using technology to do it instead of guitars and amps. They're using tech 
to glitch and distort and make weird little vocal chops and make little sexual noises that happen in dropouts and there's like fully of like clocks ticking it's so hard to understand what's happening i think so much is getting thrown at you that you just kind of sit back and listen to it unfold like you it's just is what it is and the the song ends and seamlessly transitions into the next song so every time i listen to this song i don't realize that i'm like 50 seconds into the next song because just it's such so seamless i'm like oh i'm into the next song i don't know there's something about how like this song couldn't be made on on an analog recording desk in a big studio in the 60s or 70s like it had to be made on a laptop in a bedroom like technology allows for like endless creativity and it's such an exciting time to be in any creative field but you just have to be able to push past that like decision paralysis because there is limitless options and this song has so many of those options just thrown in there but not like haphazardly it feels very intentional and it's super exciting because artists will come in and they'll point out specific things in this song be like i really like the guitar on this part or i really like the the flies buzzing in the background during that quiet moment when almost all the other music drops out or i like how the saturation is just so over the top like it messes up my speakers there's so many different parts of this song that gets referenced quite frequently this had to be like the first song and it's just weird enough that you have to like at least check it out once so i'll link the album in the show notes so you can check out cbd buggin check out deep fake just take a listen i find it really inspiring that a younger generation is still trying to push boundaries and create something that's new and exciting to me it's a very unique inspiring song i'd love for you to check it out cheers <laughs>